This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And now, here, without further ado, all dressed up and suntanned, well, not as much as me, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, buddy? Good, how you doing? I'm good. I'm missing good. that sunshine from down south. You know, it was quite a culture and shock to my system to come back up here and freeze <laughs> and have to shovel snow and I know, everything else. I know. Yeah. So yeah. how are you? I'm doing great. Doing yeah. good. So. And your tour to the Southland proved uh, beneficial to you and your bride? Yes. I, I uh, managed to force myself to do a little bit of golfing. Oh, I bet it was a real yeah, arm twister. It was twister. tough, but I, you know, somebody's yeah. got to do it. Well, you know, i got to tell you... We have had more compliments. Uh, I've had a lot of compliments for you and what you do with Dr. History. And I even talked to somebody in Arizona that's listened. Oh, is that right? Yes. We're getting those foreigners, too. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we are. What are we going to talk about today? Okay, Zeb, when you think about gold mining towns, what comes to your mind that might might be more valuable than the gold? Silver. No. Uh... Mining? Yeah. Um, well, you're, then you're third, going, third would be copper. You're going down the wrong trail here. What do you mean I'm going down the wrong trail? <laughs> That's the way the mule's headed. <laughs> well, I'm going to turn the mule around. Okay, you ready? Go ahead. All right. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about a place called Alder, Gu- Alder Gulch, uh, which is up in Montana, yeah. between Nevada City and Virginia City. Okay. Uh, anyway, it, when it first started, of course, it filled up with a lot of people. 1863, a guy by the name of Bill Fairweather uh, was prospecting. They struck gold, and that actually was, in, at that time, a part of the Idaho Territory, okay. which is now, of course, Montana. Yeah. But it was uh, destined to be one of the richest placer gold diggings in the West. Really? Huge. Really? Yeah. But within months, several camps sprang up, as they always do, along Alder Creek, the most important being Virginia City and a place called Junction and Nevada City, which are only a few miles apart. Yeah. Pretty close. Okay. Uh, it was estimated that between 1,500 and 2,000 tents, bark shacks, and log cabins filled in the spaces between towns. And at night, it was like a city with one long, crooked main street uh, with the lights of miners' candles and kerosenes shining through their uh, makeshift windows, which they did uh, had like an oiled paper sometimes. Oh, yeah. And a, yeah. Or a scraped deer hide or nothing. They were really your upper crust. Yeah, they were. But Alder Gulch, like most gold strikes camps, was at first pretty much a community of men. So for the most part, uh, young and unattached <laughs> men, <laughs> knock it off, <laughs> when not working on their claims, they spent their time hunting, winning or losing at gambling, and occasionally chasing uh, as a posse, chasing uh, robbers. So, uh-huh. okay, now we're just going to move right ahead. Why are you smiling? I'm not smiling. <laughs> the spring and summer of 1864, things changed. I bet they Okay, hundreds of families came in, building the town became more substantial. Uh, the supplying of needs for this now 10,000 people. 10,000 10, people? 10,000 in that little area. Have 
ever been there? I'm trying to visualize where it is. It's exactly. near Ennis, Montana. Okay, it's over there by Ennis and then up by Dillon. In no. between, in between there someplace? No. I've no. been to Ennis. Okay, Ennis, yeah. and then you go, I think, kind of south and west, about 15, 20 miles. Holy cow. So they had 10,000 people yeah, living out 10, there? 10,000. Wow. Uh, so, anyway, it's a far place from shipping points, uh, but there was uh, game and beef, you know, uh, and. Uh, they got some beef from the various ranchers that around there that supplied. Whether they bought it or not. That's right. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, food, uh, clothing, mail, mining supplies, all this stuff had to be brought in from Utah to the south or from the states to the east. Mm-hmm. Okay? So most of the merchandise came by steamboat from St. Louis up the Missouri to Fort Bend, then overland by horse, mule, or ox train 300 miles to Virginia City. Holy cow. Uh, now, uh, if they came from Salt Lake uh, through Farmington or Corinne and hauled by way of Fort Hall up along the Snake River yeah. uh, to Alder Gulch, these were 400 miles of rough roads. I yeah, mean, really. you can imagine. So, Why anyway. Didn't they just get on the interstate. And <laughs> they should. I, you know, it's right there. Yeah. Anyway, so by early fall, now we're in 1864, there were a few inhabitants of Alder Gulch with enough foresight to read the signs of a coming food shortage, especially flour. No kidding. Okay. Quite a number of the storekeepers and others began buying up what uh, what they could, and whenever they could find a few sacks for sale, they would quietly stash it away. Yeah, but that stuff didn't store without bugs and all that kind well, of stuff. Well, you know, it just adds protein. So, <laughs> anyway, among those who realized the seriousness of the situation, but with no thought to gain by it, was a guy by the name of Thomas Dimsdale, and he was an editor of the Montana Post. I see. And uh, he, uh, it was actually their first printed newspaper in Montana. But Dimsdale advised everybody to lay in such uh, supplies as they could for the winter. Yeah. He could kind of see what was coming. Well, sure. And when heavy snow fell early in October, the Post carried the following warning. Quote, flour went up $4 this morning because of the snow. If it continues to go up as the snow comes down, where will it stop? The price of flour on that date was now $24 and $26 per 100-pound sack. Wow. Now, I'm not sure what that compares with today's. Wow. Uh, anyway, but, you know. When In one, other words, you couldn't afford to eat it. Well, you, yeah, you really couldn't. No. But when one snowstorm followed another clog in the passes, the supply trains arrived less and less frequently and finally stopped altogether. Uh, word was brought to Alder Gulch by men on horseback that several wagon trains loaded with flour and provisions were stranded in Beaver Canyon along the Snake River. Did uh, Ogden play a part in supplying the supplies at that time? Yeah, Ogden, Kelton, Corinne, you know, as far yeah. west as they could go. And possibly Tremont. Mountain area? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe. Okay. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, so as a result, you know, less bread was eaten by the miners' families. Pies were a luxury. Yeah. And by the end of March, okay, most of the flour in Alder Gulch was in the hands of speculators willing to make a fortune on the misfortune of others. Look out. Here we go. Yeah. So the price climbed steadily upward until April 16th when flour was quoted at $45 for 100 pounds. Wow. 
you know, I should have checked see what it is today. Though. Yeah. No, it was up 24, 26. Now it's up to 45. Oh, okay. All right. But that was uh, bad enough. But the next day when some of those who, with a corner on flour, were asking and in some case getting as much as $110 a sack. A hundred pound bag. Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, the people felt like the, something needed to be done. They, oh, really? They had no intention of allowing people to go hungry while... Wheat was and, and flour was available. So here we are. The people are mad. They're getting upset about this whole thing. Uh, in Virginia City, uh, groups of pretty excited citizens gathered, and they were not happy about these guys that were hoarding the flour. And yeah. basically, they were money grabbers. Yeah. Um, so another group met in, uh, in Nevada City, and they invited the, those from the neighboring camps to join them. And time was not wasted on fancy speeches. It said that the meeting lasted about an hour and a half, and in that brief time, the situation was stated, the remedy proposed, and plans made to carry it out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the plan. <clears throat> Some old-timers claim that a committee of 500 men marched through Alder Gulch armed and equipped with popular authority to search for and seize all flour wherever they found it. This doesn't sound like a democratic area. <laughs> it was it was flour or nothing. Yeah, uh, anyway. it sounds like, well, you got it, we're going to get yeah. it. So, and actually, ingenuity had been used in hiding this, they called it dumping dust. Dumping <laughs> flour, dust. Dumping dust. Uh, flour was discovered tucked away in homemade grass-stuffed mattresses. Oh, my. They found it in cellars, under house floors, oh. buried in haystacks, and e- <laughs> you're going to like this. Even in an outhouse. <laughs> and they're going to use that for a piece of cherry pie? Uh, I think they had it in Ziploc sandwich bags. Oh, so. I bet they did. So, But, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was not found. The uh, search turned up only a disappointed 175 sacks, and the owners were actually paid for it at the rate of $27 for 100 for Salt Lake flour and $30 a 100 for St. Louis flour. Really? So for whatever that reason. but Three bucks and a 1,500-mile difference. E- well, there was yeah, no. There was three hundred and four hundred miles. No, if it came from St. Louis. Oh yeah, right. Okay, uh, but it had been agreed that at no time should flour be valued at more than fifty dollars a sack. I see. So that was kind of the top. There goes your free enterprise. <laughs> well, you know, there was resentment, of course, by the guys that had hoarded the, the flour. They were going to make a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, one guy, uh, his name was Gormley, had been of the, uh, one of the last to arrive in camp with a supply of flour uh, that last fall. His pack train had plowed through the passes after they were almost completely closed by snow. He'd actually lost one mule. Now, Gormley showed the committeemen his expense sheet and told them he would sell the flour for $45 a sack, and he said, quote, if you get it for me any less, he informed them, it will be over my dead body. And then what happened? <laughs> he sold the wheat. I see. <laughs> he was coerced into yeah. a new economic value he of the wheat. was, which meant his hide. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they could see that he meant business, and they also realized that uh, at their offered $27 a sack, the merchant would take a pretty bad loss, and his position, he was justified in asking what he wanted. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. 
State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, here we are, April 19th. Flour was parceled out in lots of 10 pounds to each man with an additional 5 pounds for each member of his family. Okay. And so 27 cents was charged for each pound, which would be $27 a hundred. Right. Um, from Salt Lake Flour and 30 cents for the St. Louis Flour. Yeah. Okay. So which... $30 a hundred. Anyway, so among those said to have cleverly outwitted the searchers were a guy by the name of John and Mortimer Lott. They sound like the guys John who would hide it in the outhouse. <laughs> anyway, they operated a general store, and before the search began, John had gone to a place called Stinking Water Valley. Oh, what a great place to live. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was able Can to buy... Can you imagine having a high school there? What would they call <laughs> their mascot? Yeah, I, that's uh, open for speculation. Yeah. Anyway, so he had uh, uh, bought 20 sacks of flour from a trader, and while he was gone, the store, their store back in Alder Girls was searched, and what flowers found was taken and paid for the price of $27 a sack. Well, Mortimer was able to send word to his brother, advising him of the situation. So instead of taking the shorter route, he took a trail over the hills, which covered was covered with scrub cedar, which was actually pretty good firewood. Anyway, John never lacked for ideas. He tied up the team, cut down a bunch of wood, covered the floor of the bottom of the wagon, and built it up to look like he was carrying a, a load of wood. Oh. So underneath the wood was these 20 sacks of flour. That sneaky guy. He was. You know, and as he kept traveling, he was met by a couple of members of the flour committee. Oh, my goodness. How and would you like to be on the flour, flour. committee? Well, at least it wasn't F-L-O-W-E-R. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, and they looked over his load, but they didn't find the wheat. Or the, or the flour. So that night after dark, they snuck their uh, wheat or their flour back into their store and supposedly made $600 in gold dust from their profit. Did he yeah. get caught? Ever? No, no. No. But uh, anyway, folks who lived in Alder Gulch at the time said there were a number of similar incidents. One incident, though, has remained in their memories and has been passed on to children and grandchildren. Here we go. Here we go. A man who was known to be allergic to work. <laughs> well, that takes in a lot of the population today, too. Okay. Anyway, he lived with his wife and a son by a former marriage in a shack on Alder Creek. Yeah. The wife, uh, a patient and hardworking woman, mm. provided for the family with earnings made over a tub and washboard. The husband, who was not only lazy... But he was also abusive to his family and was surprised one day by a visit from his wife's former suitor. Uh-oh. Okay. The visitor was shocked at what he saw and said so in no uncertain terms, adding that if the mistreatment did not stop at once, he would give the worthless fellow, the lazy guy, the beating of his life. Okay, this is interesting. Yeah, Keep going. Okay, well, they got into a pretty good fight like and quarrel. Anyway, uh, the finally, finally, the husband uh, said, okay, he says, why don't you just take her yourself if you're so stuck on her? Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the husband, uh, did they have any kids? Yeah, uh, no, just a stepson. Stepson. From okay. the guy's first marriage. 
So he said, okay. You're going too fast here. I, I need a program to tell who the players are. <laughs> okay, so here we've got an abusive husband, yeah. a guy that would like to marry this sweet young wife yeah. that is very patient and hardworking. And the other guy had been married before. Yeah. Okay. And he says, Why don't you just take her? Well, that was an idea worth considering. So apparently tempers cooled and negotiations began. In the end, a deal was made in which the wife was traded for $100 and two sacks of flour. I'll bet she was a <laughs> proud lady. Well, at that time, you yeah. know, flour is worth yeah. a lot. Yeah. So the wife, who had given her consent, went before an understanding judge and was immediately granted a divorce. The next day, the reunited sweethearts were joined in matrimony by a justice of the peace, and presumably a happy marriage resulted. I love these Valentine stories. Yes. Now, the the shiftless, uh, yeah, what happened to him? allergic to work husband, ex-husband, was left with no wife to support him, and the flower on which he had counted to return a handsome profit was confiscated. Oh my goodness! He was paid fifty-four dollars for the two sacks and allowed to buy back twenty pounds for himself and his son for five dollars and forty cents. He bought the stepson back. Well, no, that was his son. Oh. Okay. See, I uh, told you you're going too fast. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, let's just move on. All right. <laughs> anyway, now another story that lingered on long after the flower shortage ended concerned a guy by the name of J.B. Lauren, a Frenchman who owned a ranch and kept a store uh, about nine miles below Virginia City. Now, according to word that got around, Lauren had managed to hide 80 sacks of flour oh on his property. Well, when the big search was over, he quietly disposed of the flour at $110 per sack. Man. Now, here we have a guy that's definitely a businessman with no moral backbone. So he was get... making like three times the amount. Oh, huge. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, he became well known for his fine stock ranch and the splendid quality of his horses. And, anyway, a village that actually came into being that grew up with his name. And his house was the finest for miles around. Uh, he built a fine, actually, not too bad. He built a nice stone church for the community. Yeah. And he gave it to the village. And But he ga- had quite a fortune by the time everything was said and done. All account of the flower. Really? Yeah. So anyway, while the flower search was going on in Aldergulch, the unhappy speculators received uh, very little sympathy uh, from, you know, but they felt like they'd been done wrong because they yeah. wanted to make money. Yeah. But they averaged a loss of about six cents a pound, which, act, act, you know, is quite a bit, actually, in yeah. those days. But So now we are the next year, uh, May 22nd, 1865, an ox train of 23 wagons loaded with flour and other supplies pulled into Nevada City. The train had been 40 day, 44 days en route. And on May 23rd, the train made it through. This shipment had been snowbound beside the Snake River since early October. Oh. They, they spent the whole winter snowbound. But, with, with all that flour? Yeah, well, food, every, all kinds of food. Yeah. So they were okay. Yeah. But anyway, after that supply... They lived pretty high on the hog. They did. After that, the supply trains began coming, and news of the slow-moving wagon trains preceded them, and Alder Gulch people got on their horses, hitched up their wagons, and just rode out to see them, just happy to see them. And some folks probably hoped to get a little flour before it was unloaded at the stores, and others just went for the fun and the joy of watching this impressive, almost mile-long train oh, of heavy-loaded wagons. Really? Now, here's something I found interesting. They had skilled drivers 
with as many as 16 mules at one time hitched to a wagon. 16, 16 mules. mules that have a mind of their own. Now, you know, I haven't been around mules as much as horses. Uh, I don't but, want to be. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I've heard a lot of stories and 16 uh, yeah. mules at yeah. one time. 16 mule yeah, hitch. pulling one wagon. Wow. Anyway, I, uh, that was amazing to me. But anyway, When they said go hook up the mules, I mean, it'd that, take from breakfast to lunch. Uh, yeah, just to go a couple of miles and then start unhooking. <laughs> But, you know, for a lot of the miners and their families, the long winter of living on beef, uh, and not too much of that was over. Uh, the empty store shelves were quickly filled with all sorts of good food, treats, and soon the wonderful odor of fresh baked bread and apple pies started drifting across the You're streets. making me hungry. Ooh, yeah. Uh, anyway, there was feasting and dancing, and it was spring, and the winter troubles were over, and that's the story of where... Flour was probably more valuable than gold. Let me ask you, Alder Gulch, Gulch, pardon me, Alder Gulch, is it still there? You know, I'm going to tell all our listeners, if you get a chance to go over to Ennis, Montana, yeah, I've been there. I've and then go, I'm going to say it's maybe 15 miles out of there, kind of to the south and west, there's okay. Virginia City and Nevada City, they're yeah. maybe two or three miles apart, and all Elder Gulch is right in there, Okay. but there's a, there's a train you can ride between really? the two cities, an old train, there's this uh, ghost town that you pay a few bucks and wander around all these old buildings, there's a Chinatown, there's saddle makers, there's a schoolhouse, wow. there's a double-decker outhouse. Oh, that's a double-decker? <laughs> double-decker. Who gets the bottom floor? Uh, I'm not going to ask that. Okay, we've got a caller with a quick question. Okay. Caller, it's only... 30 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, didn't they used to haul borax with 20 mule teams? Yeah, down in California, you're right. But uh, you were saying that some of these wagons were like a mile long. and Well, so, the, the wagon train. The wagon train. And so you're talking a whole bunch of mules pulling everything. Plus roads that Plus were roads, had yeah. to be muddy and dirty yeah. and soft. Well, I'll tell you what. Thanks, Alias. Appreciate that. Yeah, 20 mule team borax and then 16 mule flour. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.